Welcome to Taken Off the Ritz, Episode 5. I'm Dan Garman. Whether you personally work in the arts or not, feeling moved by things is fundamental to human nature. Maybe it's specifically related to entertainment. A heartbreaking scene from a classic film, or a love-drenched aria from an opera, or a captivating piece of art at a museum or even a neighborhood cafe that takes your breath away. Maybe it's not related to entertainment directly. A picturesque view on a dream vacation, the death of a loved one, your first kiss, or the heartbreak that ensued from breaking up weeks later. Regardless of what it is, the things that move us are moments in our lives that wake us up and shake us out of the banality of daily life. Many of us in arts and entertainment pursued it precisely because we felt those moments profoundly in our souls and were inspired to create those feelings in others. We wanted to make sense of or add meaning to life, contribute to positive change in society, or shine light on an otherwise dark world. It's too easy to forget about these moments. It's too easy to look at the news and feel despair about the world and the injustice in it. It's all too easy to get wrapped up in the threads of our lives and forget why we try to make art in the first place. But conversations like the one I had with today's incredible guest, Matthew Johnson Harris, are a resounding call to remember. Matthew is a multi-hyphenate artist and Broadway sensation who defies any single definition. He recently associate-directed Jason Robert Brown's revival of Parade on Broadway. He's a dance and fitness instructor at the world-renowned Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. He started the Mosaic Project, which raises money for different marginalized groups through concerts and productions— raising over $100,000 for various causes since its inception in 2016. He is a truly special soul, and words cannot express how grateful I am to have had him as a guest on this show. I know that you are going to be blown away by the conversation you're about to hear. Please welcome Matthew Johnson Harris to Taken Off the Ritz. All right, I am here with Matthew Johnson Harris, the one and only. It is so good to see you. It has been quite a long time. How are you doing? I am good. I am here, and I'm so proud of you for creating this and providing people not only with inspiration, but also um, creating the space where hopefully people learn and um, just feel seen by the conversations that people have. Thank you so much. That's really meaningful. Um, And you were actually talking, we we were talking just uh, off air a little bit, just about this feeling of needing honest spaces. And you you mentioned that there's a project that you just began. And I I, I would love to start there because I think what you described is just is beautiful as well and is is kind of uh, another side of the same coin. So so what have you been working on recently? I've been working on a very special project called Art and Soul, which explores the intersection between spirituality and making art. Um, my closing like tagline that I say at the end of every episode is, art can heal, 
art can bring people together and art can inspire change. For those reasons, art is a spiritual practice. So no matter what type of artist that you are, you're creating something spiritual that is reaching people on a level that sometimes surpasses language, right? But we all can feel that frequency vibrating. And what I've realized being in this business now and um, being at the level in which I'm at this business, and I get to be around a lot of influential people and a lot of people that I've always looked up to. And Mm -hmm. just to call a thing a thing, a lot of people are struggling with depression anxiety, um, addiction. I've had my own struggles with depression and anxiety. And I wanted to create a space where people could understand that the genesis of all of those things is literally being disconnected from yourself, which is your soul, which is your passion, which is your identity, who you are. I had a really beautiful aha moment um, where we were filming on December 17th. We were filming a couple of episodes. And every episode, I I split the panel. So it's me in the middle kind of like a moderator and then I bring in like three artists and then on the opposite side I bring in spiritual leaders from different faiths so I brought wow. in Reverend Jackie Lewis yeah so I brought in Reverend Jackie Lewis oh. and um, Rabbi Joshua Staten who represent the evangelical Christians well not really evangelical Christian church she doesn't even consider herself a Christian anymore because of all of the things that have happened with the evangelical sure. church in this country but um, she says that Christ was her original gateway to source and that's how she kind of oh, navigates man. herself and now oh. um and Reverend Jackie, who um, has been like a spiritual leader and a beautiful, beautiful presence in my life, has been good friends with Rabbi Joshua, who is an amazing guy. And they set like what I call Team Soul. So I had my artist and I had Team Soul. And they said something really powerful that I never really heard before. But they broke down the word inspired, which means in spirit. Mm-hmm. And I, my mind blew. Like I was like, <laughs> what the hell? Because we had mm-hmm. this really beautiful mm-hmm. moment. I don't want to give away the episode, but the episode was called The Stories We Tell. So I had three really influential writers, a Pulitzer Prize winner, an Oscar winner, a Tony winner. I'm a new up and coming writer and everybody was a different gender and a different color and a different age and a different stage of their career. And they were talking about how whenever they write or sit down and write something, they have moments where nothing comes. And then they have these moments where it all kind of just flows out. Yes. And then so I turned to Reverend Jackie and I was like, what would you call that? Like on a spiritual level? And she broke down that inspired means in spirit. So anytime you said that you're inspired by something, you're actually in touch with your soul, which is that undeniable force that can yes. bring out creativity and move you forward. But if you're out of touch with that, or you're in a business that every day kicks you down and you're yes. seeking validation through a job or money, yes. you could feel like you are not validated. So you're not connected to yourself. And so, anyway, I can go on and on. No, 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 no. Well, no, I love it. I love it, man, because you just came out swinging. And I think the thing that speaks to me so deeply in what you just said, which is a great place to start, and then we can branch off from there, is just in so many fields of the arts, we go into this because it made us feel something when we were, there was a point of inspiration, an initial inspiration. You know, my mom played the piano. I saw how much it meant to her. She was actually very talented. And and I, it was always around and music was always there. And I took to it very quickly because it was kind of like another language. And it was a way that I could connect with others, both through what I was able to do, but also that later I started playing in bands and I loved the social aspect of it. But the thing that I hear there is that we all deeply have a desire to create together and to get to the place where we're on stage or in a rehearsal room, or you know, it, it could be TV, we're filming, we're rehearsing, we're running lines or designing, collaborating. We have that desire to reach that place with each other. 
But sometimes, a lot of times, that desire is so strong that we can put ourselves in situations to get to that place where capitalism and just the financial aspect, which is the soul, in a lot of ways, the soul draining aspect of it, that we have to jump through those hoops and sometimes not come out and, and, and leave ourselves in compromised situations in order to get to what we want to do. But I know I've had a million opportunities and a million things where even once I had a job, to continue forward making the art every day, there would be like three hours of completely administrative, terrible stuff that I had to navigate to just get back on stage that had nothing to do with the music. So I, th- I think, how do you, how, what's your take on all of this? And what's your take on um, how to maintain that sense of why we do this and and maybe just w- meditating on, yeah, that kind of discord between having to get to the art through the job or through the mm. career and the capitalism aspect of this? It's really hard. And I am militant about my mental health in a way that I have never been in my life. Um, I'm going to tell a very short version of a long story, but in 2021, I checked myself into a mental health facility. Um, I was having crazy panic attacks. I, I, at any moment, it felt like my heart was going to jump out of my chest through lots of great therapy and um, work on myself and changing my day to day. I realized that I just was walking around with a lot of trauma that came from childhood, but also from this business. A lot that came from this business. And I realized in the pandemic, when I wasn't going to work, um, that I didn't feel valid as a human being because I was being fed by who I was working with, what jobs I was getting, and um, how far I had gotten away from the little poor black gay boy with eight half siblings who grew up in poverty. Now I was in New York City living my dreams. And what I've been saying to a lot of people is I had to realize that my dream job was a job. And I didn't know that. Like, no one had explained that to me specifically. Um, Mm. And every day I found myself finding different ways where um, I would negotiate a little bit of my authentic self for the opportunity to do something that I love so much. Like, I love theater. I love musical theater. I really struggle with the infrastructure of Broadway and how it's done and how it's produced. Um, And I can hold space for both of those things um, without trying to sound like, um, not trying to sound. Sometimes I feel like I had, at the beginning of my career, where I was working on this level, I was always policing myself because I didn't want it to make it seem like I was ungrateful because so many people don't get the opportunities in which me and you have gotten to have. But then I had to realize by not telling the full scope of the experience, I am not only um, gaslighting myself, but I'm not allowing people into the full window of what it takes to even get to this point. And also to let them know that no matter where you are right now, if you're creating art and you're choosing to be an artist and the world Right now, then you are valid. Whether you're working in a community theater in Texas or you're working on a Tony Award winning Broadway show like I have, like you are valid. And um, so I tell the truth about it. Like a very specific amount of circumstances have to line up for me to be where I am now. 10 years of me doing concerts, getting paid nothing. Like 
if you want to call it a real thing a thing, this yeah. past year where I've had the most success on paper yes. is the least amount of money that I've made in years. Mm. And, and and people don't tell that hard truth because they don't yes. want to piss people off. They want to yep. don't want to sound ungrateful. But like when we talk about things like systemic racism and like how do we change things? When you're a poor black boy with yep. eight half siblings that has no money and no people to go back to, mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna choose to do personal training and waiting tables where I can make a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars in a week, as Absolutely. opposed to doing some type of internship. To be an associate or to be an assistant director, where I get paid nothing. Yeah, you know, and those little things keep people out of the system that is Broadway. Yes. and I I have so much compassion and grace because I want to also say this: there is a true curiosity from producers and general managers and people who are working within the infrastructure of Broadway on how they can make it a more equitable, mm-hmm. diverse space. So I want to make that very, very clear. People are trying, y'all. They are. But at the same time, there are a lot of like little um, roadblocks that are in the way of, us, of that really happening, you know? Yes. Uh, well, and it's, fun- it's funny that you, you mentioned that and you bring it there because one of my goals in the coming weeks, I actually have a number of people I know on the producing, general managing, investing side. And I really want to get them on here because I think I've had, and I'm sure you've had more exposure to that half than maybe your average person has. Because once you, once you get to a certain level or rung of a production, I mean, you've directed, you've associate directed, you've chore- you've choreographed, uh, and, and I've music director or supervised, that you start you know, at drinks, people reveal things, or maybe you're, you have more direct contact with people who have invested or who have done stuff. And I think it, it's just for us to understand the ecosystem and begin to have those conversations about how to make forward progress. We have to bridge the gap between the people who are legitimately trying. There are a lot of people who are legitimately trying to invest in uh, groundbreaking, important things to be able to move forward as a society, but then that's still an investment and there's still a business there. So I think just beginning to, to, to branch all these. Um, but uh, the thing, man, the thing that I hear and that I just want to talk about because we haven't had a chance to talk about it on this podcast enough, we've admitted privilege in previous episodes and we've, we've, we've held a little bit of space for it, but I just want to make clear um, how incredible it is and uh, th- to hear your story. And I want to hear more about your story because I grew up in the river. You know, for me, it was the reverse. For me, my town that I grew up in, if you started playing an instrument that, you know, it was it was a town outside Boston uh, near Harvard. There were a lot of doctors mm-hmm. and lawyers. It was very like cu- a cultural town. It wasn't like a hedge fundy mm-hmm. town. Um, but still, people people had means. And... If you started playing the saxophone and you got into a band in high school, they would suddenly, they would buy, you know, you'd see the kids show up the next week with a $3,000 saxophone. And I think my first humbling experience was going to, I went to school in Montreal and Montreal is not a very wealthy city. And I saw people who were way better than anyone I had ever met playing music from their soul, playing on like a, you know, a $200 instrument. And it didn't matter. And that was the the first crack I saw in, oh wow, there like there are people who who no matter what the circumstance will move forward and will find a way. And I I would love to hear as much of 
you know, your foundational story uh, uh, as you feel comfortable sharing or anything that feels pertinent, because I want to hold a lot of space on uh, just for what privilege is and what it affords and how it kind of can infiltrate our spaces that we try to create art in um, if, if we don't hold space for it and have these discussions. Well, thank you for creating a space where this can happen. Um, there are so many elements and specific events that have to come together for anyone to make it to this level um, of a career in theater or musical theater, whether race is involved or not, right? There's a lot of, um, a lot of the Gen Zers who I love, um, love to talk about Nepo babies, but I remember my first Broadway show when I came into the room, and this was right after George Floyd had um, been murdered. So there was this huge initiative to start um, bringing African-American people into spaces, which is a whole nother conversation that I'm going to break down on my show about like what works in that and what doesn't work in that. But um, I will say that like there is so many different things that happen in this space that, um, that allows people to get into roles into this space that has nothing to do with talent, nothing to do with your gift or your ability. So I want everyone at home or wherever you are watching this and you're looking at me and Dan and you are trying and you are submitting resumes um, <laughs> yeah. to know that you are valid in your yes. gift, whether or not, like yes. I've already said this before, but I want to say it again, that you are valid in your gift, no matter where you are, as long as you continually show up as an artist. But what I was meaning to say was, is that I looked around the room and I was like, oh, that person is the producer's son. Mm-hmm. That person is married to somebody in the general management team. That person is dating one of the directors. That person, like, you know what I mean? I could just see the connections yes. that I brought everyone yes. into this space. Yes. And I was like, oh, got it. Like, and everyone also on top of that is still talented. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, you know what course. I mean? Of course. So of it course. doesn't, it doesn't take away from their talent. So I don't no, want to no, say no. like I'm shading these people because they're all gifted, but they have that one thing that got them into the space and just... <laughs> like guys, I feel like this, this is not going to be the interview that gets me kicked out of Broadway. Um, but <laughs> no, I'm that's not the no, I just <laughs> I'm making oh. a joke. I'm making a joke. Yeah, I'm making I know, a joke. I know. But uh, what, what I'm saying is that um, <laughs> there was an interest from producers and general management companies to do the right thing to make rooms more diverse. And so my end into a lot of these spaces that a lot of people just already knew who I was. For 10 years, I've been beating down the door as a performer. I had already been working as a choreographer before the pandemic. So, like, mm-hmm. people knew me in that world from teaching at Alvin Ailey and all the different things I was doing. Um, but people didn't really um, take me seriously as a director. I couldn't get any associate mm-hmm. work as a director or any assistant work as a director. The only thing that I could get would be, like, these non-paid internships, which I could not do having no familiar support, right? And so I just was like always just waiting for the opportunity to actually move into that director lane. And because George Floyd was murdered, a lot of people started being introspective about the rooms that they built. And I got a lot of phone calls, a lot of phone calls. But you know, what was so great about it is I was so thankful But the triggering of imposter syndrome that I got, that Mm. I was only in the room because I was Black, did I really earn this? Am I gifted? Am I Mm. talented? You know? And I had to do a lot of work with a great therapist and also realize that, yes, I am all those things. I'm talented and I am gifted. And I might be in a lot of these rooms just because I am Black. But at the same time, 
I have a gift. I have a voice. And a lot of different people make their ways into these rooms. So if being black is the reason why I got in, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. I mean, seriously. Oh, my God, man. I mean, but but the thing that speaks for itself is you are so grounded in yourself. It is so apparent, even more than because we worked together right before the pandemic, right before the pandemic, and even in the past, it's it's immediately apparent to me how centered and how you are, and how in tune with yourself you are. So no matter what, you're bringing that to those rooms, and there are a lot of people, a lot of people, um, whether race or class or gender or any of these things are issues uh, that are pertinent in the room. There are a lot of people who it's become their life. It's become their career. And there's a certain sense of, oh, like, what show is this now? You know, once you get into the Broadway circuit and you're just known as a person, I've seen people at the very top levels come into a room with not disdain per se, but with like, uh, you know, the same way like a consultant would look at their list of like meetings for the day. And I think, I mean, I have a feeling from everyone I've talked to in our generation that that is never going to be the reality because I think people understand how much of a blessing it is to be in these rooms and the fact that some people would be able to phone it in. But I do, I do think a lot of rooms I've been in, everyone's like, oh, well, this is kind of the status quo and maybe the show is a little edgier, but, you know, when one show closes, we do the next. Um, so I think no matter what, just to say here, like, your voice is a necessary voice in a room because it's very clear how much authenticity there is coming from you and what kind, even just talking over this Zoom type thing, I mean, there's so much spirit and so much energy coming through. So I just want to say that here, that we need more people like that in rooms from what I've seen, especially at the direction and choreography levels. Uh, at the, at the, well, at the I appreciate levels. that. I really appreciate that, Dan. Um, what I will also say is everything that you're saying is true about the energy of a lot of people that have been basically grandfathered into this business. They've been in it for years. Um, I've been very blessed now to work with Tony Award winners, like Oscar winners, like people who have long lists of resumes. And I will say that the business affects everyone differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I feel like there is this culture in which um, we are fully validated by the next job to the point to where we can't be present in the space in which we are now. And that's why I'm very clear about like who I am. Yes. Um, and I, I really take a lot of, um, a lot of gratitude and I feel very honored and humbled that you describe me as grounded in knowing who I am, because I will say up until my hospitalization in 2021, I didn't, yes. I didn't. I really did not know who I was. I was being whoever I thought I needed to be to survive in this industry or to be liked. Yes. So afraid, like yes. so afraid to just speak up and be my full self, like not having a BFA or MFA mm. um, in theater sure. has always been really, really hard for me um, navigating this um, industry. And I had to get to a place to be like, Matthew, you are talented. You are smart. What you don't know is okay. And you will learn. My favorite thing to say and describe myself and anybody who ever might come from a background like mine, where you don't feel like you have enough education is I might not say the right word, but I always say the right thing. Mm, Right. So I might not know the word for something, 
I might not know the words for something. I might not know that that light on the stage is called a practical, like all the things that you learn. Like I don't know these things, but I will say put that light here because it will create mood and that scene will be this, this, and this. And you know what I meant. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. No. Okay. There is a very real, there's a very real problem with music directors. Cause some music directors are kind of like actors who are good musicians, but a lot of music directors like me, I mean, I am, I am formally trained. I am trained in an inch of my life. And, and I remember the, the, that there was, I never felt this because I've worked with kids. I've taught kids since I was like zero. I, I started teaching very, very young. So I've always known that, you know, yeah, you could teach a kid that a crescendo is, is when something gets louder, but different kids respond differently. Some love terminology and some don't. Some some just know the feeling or want to know the feeling. And I remember there being so much disdain from other musicians when I would tell them, oh yeah, I'm working with a lot of actors and actually a lot of these people at the highest levels or, or whatever level don't know how to read music. Yeah. And, it, and, and actually to me, it, it has become apparent that actually a lot of times to fully know how to read music perfectly and, and fully engage as an actor can actually almost be an inhibition. But mm-hmm. for me, uh, it's been a pleasure to, to not be able to rely on the classical terminology with actors because then it, it checks me. It checks me to be, it, not just with actors, but with an, anyone who I'm trying to express a concept to who's not like steeped in the terminology and in the academic right. side of things. Can I remove my bullshit hat and can I try to communicate as a human to another human what I'm feeling in this moment or what I think something should feel like. And then they can bring something back and say, Hey, maybe that feels a little differently in my body. And here's how it is for me. And it's not going to come back in like music, classical music terms. And that's okay. And holding space for that. We all come to it differently. And the fact that we can even make a show happen with all these different backgrounds is, is astonishing. You just said so many different things that I wanted to amen on. Um, so many different things. Like, yes, 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 and yes. Like, that, I will say when it comes to DEI work, which is for those who don't know, diversity, equity, inclusion, I feel like Broadway is really like, like killing the D. Like, they are, there's so much diversity. Hmm. Um, but what we really will struggle with in these rooms is equity and inclusion, right? So we're not really good at including different types of minds, like and how different minds work and how different artists work, right? Like we have our very specific rigid ways of which we create art. And then also what a lot of people don't realize is that um, if you connect it to, cause I'm all for getting education, getting education. You got it, praise the Lord, good for you. Like I, I really am yeah. pro-education, I'm yeah. pro-education. But at the same time, those also can be factors in which people like me or people who have backgrounds like me can be, gate kept out of another room because we didn't have the financial means, right? I will say that my first year on Broadway, working on Hangman, and then going right into um, um, Soul Train, like it was like Hangman, Soul Train, which is his out-of-town trial, going to Broadway, and then Parade, it was like boom, 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 boom. That was the price of three BFA and MFAs. Like to sit down with someone and they walking me through how a show is built, giving me all the terminology, knowing how do you have rapport with every single person from the company manager to the stage manager, yes. to the music supervisor, to the copyist. Like I was like, a copyist? What is this? Yeah. <laughs> like, the yeah. person whose role is just to be the copyist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you learned all of these different things. Yes. And so like yes. you said so many things that really resonate with me, but there was something that really stood out that moved me is that like what people don't also understand 
there's a lot of people in these lead creative roles, whether it be director or choreographer. Most orchestrators and arrangers have some type of music background or they have someone that is really good at helping them, like, you know, score their stuff. Right. But they're either, if they're a director, they were a really good actor who after a while was like, okay, I could stage some things and block some things. And then they started directing. Or if they were a choreographer, they were a really good dancer, right? That really understood dance and then started building their own dances. Yes. And, what, and what's great about that is that you do have the lived experience of being in the role. So that kind of helps give you insight. But what it does not make you is a leader. Hmm. And I've noticed that with a lot of people in these rooms, like they are great creative voices yes understand how to put a show together as far as like it being gorgeous and beautiful and move great but really struggle with like how to step into a room fully own themselves own their gift lead from a place of grace that allows you to have empathy for yourself and also everyone around you yes and people don't know really how to do that as much in broadway or across the board like across the board in entertainment because those i'm talking about specifically those roles like yeah. when you're a director or you're a choreographer or even a producer right to be a producer yeah. all you really need is investors or generational wealth right yes, so if you yes, have those two yes. so if you have those two things oh, you yeah. can literally be a boss and run a show but that doesn't make you a leader <laughs> right no, and so that's at all and that's why we can have the scott rudens of the world Right? Yes. Like they could just yes. come in and be complete monsters. Yes. With the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, yes. right? Because yes. in the entertainment industry, unlike any other corporate world where you have an HR department, that doesn't exist in our world. Right? There's no one to be like, oh, this <laughs> this producer no. threw a stapler at me or whatever Scott Rutten did. There's no one to complain to because he's the producer and he's the end all be all. And he's not like a CEO at another company where they would be sending him to personal development retreats yes. or he would have to answer yes. to somebody. Yes. He just answers to himself. In the same yes. way when you're a director, if you're a director or you're a choreographer, yes. or if you're a person in these lead positions, you're an amazing creative mind, but you are not a leader. And so you can do all of these different things that are just really harmful to spaces unless you take the time to educate yourself ground yourself in your gift, read self-help books, put yourself in your own leadership um, leadership workshops, read as many books about leadership that you can, invest in diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Invest yes. in it, invest in the books, put yourself in a workshop because in any other corporate space in America, this is built into their HR department. And no, it is, you, it is, you know? it is. And I found I've had to be, I, I assume you have too, at various points in your career. I, even before I felt this grounded in myself and I'm getting there, I had to be HR. I've done that. I, here's a great example. I'll keep it short. There was a national tour. There were two casts. We had, it was a disaster of a show. We had rehearsed for two weeks. It was the end of the rehearsal process. We were about to go into tech. And the associate producer who was, had been sued on multiple other productions and had abuse allegations, like terrible, terrible person to be in the room with. Like energy suck. Uh, uh, After we finished the last run, he said, can we just try something? I want to take this cast member from this cast and this cast member from this cast and let's just try the opening number with them switched. This is right before tech, right? They have different schedules. They've built rapport. This guy just for no reason, just trying to establish control or God knows what complex he was feeling that day. Maybe he just felt small and needed to exert control. Had the two casts 
run the opening number by switching two fundamental core cast members. And of course, every, you could see everyone was about to start crying because oh what, a, what a gross injustice to have built something together, to finish your rehearsal process on a surprisingly okay note, and then to have it all pulled out from under you. So I immediately, sensing this, went to my friend who happened to be the general manager, thank God, and called him. I went into the hallway and said, you have to shut this down. You have to shut this down. What is happening right now is inexcusable. There's no reason for it. And it is causing serious issues between casts, between we're not going to be able to make it through tech. We're not going to be able to do it. And of course they intervened because they heard they weren't there in the room at that point. But after I called, you know, he he was nearby. I'd taken care of stuff at a cafe. He walked in. He spoke to the associate producer. They shut it down. And then the associate producer proceeded to ream out the cast about how, you know, professionals need to be adaptable and all, all this bullshit. But literally, when I tell you that there was no reason for that shit other than exertion of control and abuse and I don't know what would have happened had I not seen it happen and felt the compelled, knowing these poor actors who I loved, they were so gung-ho and had dealt with so much already, I stepped in. And that's not my job. It isn't. It's not. There isn't. There needs to, and, I, and thankful, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for other people that have taken on that job when it's not their job. Um, me and my, one of my dear friends were talking about like, there needs to be a person in all of these rooms that is a neutral voice, kind of like an HR that helps like run these rooms. But the thing about it is that will cost money. Right. And so like, you have to be like, you have to be gung ho about change and be willing to invest in change Yes, in order for us to actually have something different happen. So like everything that you said is true. Like having generational wealth or having access to investors can make you a producer, but it doesn't give you emotional empathy or make you a leader, right? Having great creative ideas, you're going to create a stunning, gorgeous, beautiful show. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to learn a lot of things from you. But also, you could be really toxic in the room, right? Yeah. Like my number, the number one advice that I give anybody who wants to work as a director or a choreographer or in any type of leadership is that, like, this career, it will give you awards, and certain moments it will give you validation, but it will not heal you. And when I say that, I mean that there's so many things that would come up from my generational trauma that actually brought harm to rooms that I had that went unchecked until I had my hospitalization two years ago. So there's different things that I would bring into rooms like, and I am like, when it comes to people, very high energy, palpable, like happy-go-lucky, but there was a part of me in my people-pleasing nature that would sometimes suffocate rooms of... um, while trying to add joy and inspiration to the room, I would suffocate the room with almost like a toxic positivity that removed the humanity. Yes. So like when people, so what people would be going through real shit or like we would have a scenario where like we had been rehearsing for seven days without a break and I come in, come on guys, you should be so thankful to be here. Da, 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 yeah, da. I'm yeah. missing the humanity of the actors yes. who are in this space doing this work and because they're not the energized and bunny like me, they're not like able to tap into whatever source of energy that I use in order to do work. And so you gotta, you have to take time to really heal yourself because what this business will do is that they will give you the awards. They will give you money and you could be doing all these type of harmful things. But as soon as an accusation leaks to the press, 
like what happened to Scott Rudin. Yes. Immediately, everyone is like, we don't encourage that behavior. And they will throw your ass away. But they will ride the gravy train all the way up until that moment. And then they will cut you off. And so I've been watching this like happen to so many different people. Like, like when I say watching this happen to so many different people, I mean, watching people that I admire and look up to as far as like, their creative mind and who they are in spaces do really, really toxic things. And I'm like, yes. you're one thing away. You're one thing away. Oh my and God. all these people, the, and all these people who are like giving you applause, they're all talking behind your back when you're not in the room. Yes. And when this shit leaks and when it finally comes out and you get canceled, they're going to leave you in the dust. So you need to do your work to heal you, fix you, yes. take care of you because this business will give you everything that it seems that you need except for that. And then your trauma response is going to step into a room and fuck up the whole vibe and fuck yes. up your career. Yes. Yes, I am so grateful that you just brought all of that in because those are the, the worst part of all of this is that they'll point, we all as an industry will point to someone who is problematic. And I think this is not just Broadway, this is entertainment. This is, this is also, this is, I think, really, this, this is the world. This is the this world. Is the world. Yeah, this yeah. is the world. Yeah, know? we point but, to the but, thing and yep. then, and then. We, we we find that behavior reprehensible, but then we'll still confide in the rest of the people who haven't had accusation, haven't been publicly brought to, you know, to trial per se yet. Um, and, and even if that behavior is continuing in all of these other people, it's not the behavior that we're responding to. It's that someone went, crossed the, 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 you know, the, the branch they were standing on happened to break. And everyone else is standing on different branches in different ways until people are potentially, there are a couple people I've come across who embody what you're talking about. And you can tell that they're centered enough in themselves. I mean, I'll be totally fucking honest with you. It wasn't until I started saying no to gigs in 2021 when everything opened up that I found I had any power at all. The moment, yep. the moment I started saying no and realized that I could still have a life even if this didn't hire me. Suddenly I felt invincible. And I feel invincible because what's the worst thing that someone could do to me right now is just not hire me. And so, so I was like, man, if this contract doesn't work out, I'm not going to devalue. I, thankfully, I've built myself up enough and worked the 80-hour weeks and done the hustle thing enough that I have the privilege of being able to say, I'm not going to devalue myself for you. But, I mean, but, you know, a decade ago, the same things that would qualify as devaluing myself weren't. But now that, you know, after you go through it for a while, it's just suddenly like, oh, you're offering me the same paycheck you offered me five years ago when I did the thing. And I have an agent now and I have a much different resume and I bring something different to the room and you know that. Mm -hmm. um, and still there's no room for negotiation. There's no room to see what I bring you and and that, you know, I know your profit margins and you're not doing badly. Like you can afford to meet my agent's offer where we're asking, which is still reasonable. Um, so I think, but yeah, the, having the ability to be like, you know what? They don't deserve, they don't deserve me. I, I will walk out of this room and they'll just have to figure it out. And that was the strongest thing that I've ever learned and I wouldn't have been able to do it without my agent and my wife. They were the two people who like really helped me start doing, do that. I am so, so proud of you because what I know to be true, specifically in this business, you learn more 
about a person by what they say no to than what they say yes to. There is this, um, there is this new thing, which I don't know if it's new necessarily, because I feel like we always are chasing this idea that um, visibility means that you are influential and means that you're making some type of an impact. So the more shows that I see your name attached to and the more red carpets I see you on, you must be doing them. Like that means that you are actually successful. Yes. And, but what I'm realizing is now that people are booking their schedules so much that they can't really even be president, that they feel run down. There's no really, there's no real joy in the work. Yes. And so you learn more about a person by their nose. Like I, I don't call myself a director, a choreographer, an actor, a singer, and all these different things anymore. I call myself a deliberate creator. Like everything that I, everything that I create comes from a place of intentionality. It's deliberate. Every project since Hangman, and even Hangman was deliberate in its own way because it was that um, being a Tony-nominated play opened me up to a lot of people who um, take validation and in credits. And like, so they're like, oh, he's valid now, right? But also that was just a beautiful life-changing experience and that was provided me through Black Theater Coalition. Um, so I just want to lift them up for that. So like, yes. even that was deliberate, but every project after that has been linked to either something that is close to me, um, spiritually, um, impact as far as um, cultural, um, right? So I have Soul Train and I have yes. The Preacher's Wife that I'm about to do. Yes. And even Parade. Parade is everything that I do with activism. What did I call myself an archivist, right? A deliberate creator and archivist. I was able to do really groundbreaking, impactful work on that show that I know that would not have happened without me and the incredible stage manager, Justin Scribner, who made space for us to do it. Um, yeah. I also want to highlight Emily Burquise, um from Sivu, who are the producers. So like, I, I feel like when people listen to this conversation, yeah. um, they're going to hear where we were reading people. But also, I want to make it very clear there are people out there that are really curious and trying to do this work. So I want to also highlight Emily and I want to highlight Justin, who mm-hmm. helped me do the work that I did in providing um, materials, resources, and information yeah. to our cast. Um, we did a really cool moment where I brought in a black pastor named Reverend Jackie Lewis and a rabbi named Rabbi Joshua Staten. And we talked about the intersection between anti-Semitism and anti-blackness because parade is centered in the Confederate South during 1914. And it was a beautiful healing conversation and had never been done before. And Justin, who was our stage manager, was just so gun ho about doing it. And there are people that are really seeking change um, and that want the world to change and want specifically the world in which we make art change. And so hearing you find um, an autonomy of self to be like, I know that what I create has value. I can be picky about the things that I create because I'm deliberate in the creation. But also there's a third part of this that I want everyone to take away. We are so afraid to be temporarily disliked that we don't be our authentic selves or ask for what we really need so we can be permanently loved and taken care of there yes. are so many rooms that i have quote unquote blown up because i'm like you know what like i'm not really vibing with the ethics of this room or morally with this room yes. and those people probably will never work with me again but i promise you in every one of those rooms there was one random person whether it was a stage manager i was a production assistant our producer was like matthew i actually really vibe with what you said you need to meet this person and then i end up finding my people so yes. We're yes. so afraid to be our authentic selves and work with artists that actually vibe with us Yes, that we put on this false sense of self because we don't want to be seen as a problem. We don't want to be seen as an issue. And I also want to be very, very clear. 
there is a lot of rooms that um that i am in now that if i would have shared the resources and it would have been as candid about my experience of being in the room pre-george floyd i probably would not be working as much but because the world has been put on the spot to be really called out to see if we're doing the work around diversity, equity, inclusion, people sometimes just keep me around because they're afraid of the implication of what it looks like to get rid of me, right? <laughs> which has been helpful. Which is which has been really which has oh been really God. helpful. And sometimes I use that. Sometimes I use that. I know that. I know that you will not fire me because yes. you know that I'm what I'm saying is ethically sound. You will not fire Ooh. me because of what this looks like. Oh. So I'd rather say it loudly and boldly. But I oh. also not only say it loudly and boldly, I want you to also hear this. I wrap it in so much grace because I do not believe that everyone should understand the lived experience of people in which you have not lived. So I don't understand every white person to know the ins and outs of my experience as a black person. I'm a black gay person and I still fuck up when it comes to other marginalized groups that have nothing to do with my lived experience. Um, I do a lot of research to become um, more engaged in how to dismantle the patriarchy because even as a black gay man, I do get a lot of privilege walking into rooms as a man and also in this business being a gay man. Yes. That's, not, that's a whole yes. other thing. Like yeah, it, it opens the door to me. Literally, that was the first que- the first MD- No, a hundred percent the first MD I ever worked with in the city on anything Broadway related. She looked at me and she said, before anything else, she was like, Are you gay? And I was like, no. And she and she's like, okay. She's like, did you go to Yale? And I was like, no. And she's like, okay. She was like, those are, you know, she's like, you'll you'll be fine. But if you had either of those, fast track. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, very I, much so. I, there's definitely very privilege. Much so. Privilege takes other forms for sure. And it's been really interesting. Uh, just, you know, from everyone brings what they bring to the room. I mean, I, I'm a, I, as a straight person, I've been the token, you know, Dan's, oh, Dan's the token straight guy. And it's, sure, my grandmother's a Holocaust survivor and I had, you know, we can trauma dump and whatever. But at the end of the day, no, I mean, everyone brings what they bring. We're all trying to get to the same thing. We're all trying to hold that space and, and discover each other. And it's just beautiful to know that you're actually saying these things in these rooms where, yeah, I've seen lots of people be way too afraid or way too worried I mean, to be totally honest, there were, I've, I've asked people to come have these conversations with me, and the response that I've gotten is, uh, I don't know, I don't know, what's it about? Like, I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm comfortable. And I respect that, and I totally feel that, but I think it's interesting because it's kind of the symptom. It's like, oh, I don't know if I feel comfortable enough in being able to share how I, my actual honest self for other people to consume about the business. I don't think I would have come on this podcast more than a year ago. I mean, I think I would have held a lot as like kind of industry. Ooh, it's kind. I had to figure it out. You got to figure it out too, man. You know what I mean? So um, I'm really glad to hear that you're bringing that into these rooms because it has to be there. It has to be there if we're going to move forward at all. We have to be honest with each other. No one's honest with each other. Um, no. no, and you know why? Everyone's so afraid that at any moment they could say the wrong thing and they will never work again. And yes. I'm just, I brought it up many times in this conversation, but September 7th, 2021, when I checked myself into a mental health facility after having tons of suicidal ideation, I left two weeks later and I told myself that I will live a life that honors my dignity 
my integrity and my ethics. And that means more than any job. That means more than even the very awesome job, um, jobs that I've gotten on Broadway. Like I want to make that very, very clear. I am so grateful. I have learned so much. I have met really, really cool people. I've made some really cool, impactful work with some amazing people. Yeah. Like it's been such a blessing. But even if all of that was removed, yes, I know who I am as an artist. I know who, what I offer the world. And I wish I knew that all the years that I was pretending to be someone else are afraid to speak up. Like I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, about asking people to come onto this podcast because I had the same thing where I was trying to book people for art and soul because we're talking about spirituality and we're also talking about like the business and we're talking about hard things, like really, really hard things. Yes. And why? And, and, and I think it's also a lot of actor struggle with um, activism yes. because usually an actor is a vessel for someone else's work. So like when you bring an actor on to talk about their political views, they're afraid they might say the wrong thing, but they would love to sing a song by a composer who wrote something that they like that, that resonates with them. Right. Yes, and yes, and, and yes. So, so, so I want to also like, I think there's something that happens a lot in our industry where we like bad mouth actors for not speaking out in these spaces. Well, first off actors at the lowest part of the totem pole, which is sad because of the one role that we couldn't do a show without. Like yes. if you called out, they could sing acapella. If I wasn't there to direct and choreograph them, they could improv. They can still do the show, but if the actors don't show up, the show's canceled. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> That's no, the one thing 100%. that we cannot do the show with, right? 100%. And so, but what happens with actors is that we have made them feel so like disconnected from their gift and their autonomy of self that they're so afraid of saying the wrong thing or they may not work again. It's ingrained in our culture. Don't call us, we'll call you. Right? All the things that we just say to actors that kind of put them in their place. Yes. And so when you ask them to come onto a podcast or you can ask them to come on Art Your Soul and talk about these really deep things around race or talk about your experiences, they're afraid to. But if you give them a piece or a play that addresses it, they're ready, right? They're vessels in which other artists can live and breathe through. So like I give a lot of specifically actors a lot of grace in that, like the, the, the not speaking out part. I, and I also understand the true fear um, of the way the system is set up, like the infrastructure of Broadway is set up. There are very specific people that are on top that have yes. power that yes. um, control who walks into these rooms. And that's a very real thing. And you could say something, you could just be you being, you could offend somebody and you're not work. Yeah. Like, and you not said anything offensive. They just didn't like your shirt. Like, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you're never working again. So these things are all real. So I don't want to gaslight people on these things. No, no, no. But I also, yeah. also want to say is that again, I've met some really dope general managers, some really great yeah. producers, some really great people that are trying to change that, that, that I, I love, that I appreciate, that I vibe with, but yeah. it's not just Broadway. It's the way the world is run that we have to like really take a step back. Like we got to get to a place to where we choose ourselves, where we get over the temporary discomfort, discomfort of not being liked so we can actually be loved and appreciated in the spaces in which we need to thrive. Like get over that discomfort. It's temporary because you'll find your people. You know, you'll yes. find your people. Yes, yes, yes. And you've and you've now set this up for yourself. I mean, a very similar thing has happened with me where, you know, we were talking about it. I've entered recovery for addiction, right? And I think it's it's forced me to also have a similar confrontation here. And it's made me realize how fundamentally 
impossible it is to operate in rooms where there is this discord, where I'm coming to play something for you, and I know in my heart that I have all these feelings or thoughts that I cannot share in this room because I am contra- contracted to be someone in a specific way, and that's okay, that's the role. But, like, I was doing myself a disservice in a way by saying, but exactly, by saying yes to things that didn't at all vibrate with what I believe in or what I care about or why I went into art in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, that is all, man, amen to all that. That is such a, yeah. And you've uh, since made, so for, for you, for sure, since making that pact with yourself and walking out, it looks like you've been doing better than you've ever been do. Like you being uh, aligned only the fear is, oh, I'll never work again if I state my true self, if I let myself out there. But look what's happened. It's like people feel it and they want to be around it. I want to be around it. I want to have this conversation. It's, it's super engaging to talk to someone who, uh, yeah, you're saying these things in my heart is like, yes, yes. There's a lot of yes and a lot of magnetism to what's happening. Um, and that, to me, brings. To, there's one more place I want to bring this because I want to talk about it. And it brings me there is this idea of advocacy, because you have over the years advocated and done so much work for others. And I, I if there's a way to tie in and just talk a little bit, a bit about how advocacy fits into this and what we can all do and ways to to step in and ways to create community. Instead of isolate and not and you know hold a lot back and not be true to ourselves, to actually speak more truth and create groups and advocate for others. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever that is for you, if you want to speak a little on on, on advocacy. Well, well, I think marginalized people have an initial interest to anything that's like linked to social justice, right? So when you're gay and you're black, you're thinking about, okay, how do I live in a world which has been set up against me in a lot of ways, right? So I've always had an interest in like um, social justice work, but I had a breakthrough around 2016 when I started the Mosaic Project at um, the Mosaic Series at Middle Collegiate Church. And the Mosaic Series was basically a few concerts that turned into full-on productions because what I realized what was missing in the Broadway community is that we would do these concerts for different nonprofits, but like you would go and it would be at some place where there's like a three drink minimum and like only 10% would go to the actual organization. And then you would not even really learn about like anything about the organization or what they do. And so I said, Oh, how about we create a concert that is suggested donation because we care more about people getting to the seats and learning about a different organization that can help them be impactful. How about we invite either the CEO or volunteers from the organization to show up, and then we create a, um, a narrative evening based on stories that they have shared about their organization. So, like oh. one of my favorite, so one of my favorite, um, that's amazing, man. Evenings was Moms Demand Action, which starred Alyssa Fox, who is currently starring as Alphaba. The first Asian American Alphabet. She's the 20th anniversary Alphabet as well. Put some respect on her name. Come through. Um, um, and also Aisha Jackson, who has just been working across the board and all sorts of things. Um, she was just seen in Once Upon a One More Time. Um, and she was also the first black woman to play Anna in um, Frozen. And so we did a concert with them together. And I approached them, and this is how I approach all the artists in the shows, mm-hmm. is, okay, what cause speaks most to you? 
because an artist, like I was saying earlier, specifically actors and singers, they're using it a vessel to like really like push them to that next level of activism. So I'd be like, okay, like what speaks a lot to you? And in that moment, there was another shooting that happened. I think Vegas had just happened. Um, that mass shooting oh. in Vegas. And then also there was a lot of things happening in the border with Trump uh, around immigration and the children that were being separated from their parents. Yes. And so they decided to lean towards gun reform. And so then my job as the producer and artistic director of the Mosaic series is I went and found Moms Demand Action, which is a gun reform um, organization. And I spoke with them. And throughout the evening, what happened was is like different volunteers and like survivors of gun violence would share a piece and then Aisha would sing a song that narratively fit whatever piece that they shared about. And then we did like this 15 minute play by um, these group of young actors um, from PPS, Professional Performing Arts School here in, um, yeah, here in New York City. They created a 15 minute play um, um, called 15 Minutes, which explores what happens when an active shooting situation happens in a school. And so it was like all of this impactful art that happened in one evening. There was no minimum. And when you create a world that's equitable like that, like a concept that's equitable like that with no minimum, we had all these people who, of course, like donated a dollar or donated two dollars or donated nothing. But then we had big donors that would come in and drop in five hundred dollars, right? That would take yep. care of all those people that couldn't pay. But yep. these people were in that space listening to how they can move gun legislation and then like being impacted by really cool singing and then this really cool oh. play. And then what Middle Church did that was so awesome is that they would pay for an hour after the concert where they provided food and wine and an opportunity for you to talk to volunteers and people are part of the organization. So wow. you can get even more mobilized. And so we ended up doing 13 productions of different shows linked to different um, marginalized groups. My favorite was an interfaith concert that we did 2016, 17 and 18, yeah. where we brought in people from the Jewish community, people from the Muslim community and people from the Christian community. And we basically together as a group celebrated the holidays and um, wanted to show the intersection that we are more alike than we are different, which yes. is even more impactful now what is happening in Israel, right? That we were yes. already doing this work years ago, like trying to find those intersections at a time where a lot of Jewish people and a lot of Muslim people feel isolated by evangelical Christianity because of Christmas, but also like Muslims aren't even considered in the conversation because the Jewish people, they got Hanukkah. How about we all get together and just love on each other? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and that was the idea. It was the most healing, beautiful oh. experience over the past seven years. We just were having our anniversary concert on December 11th at um, Easton Temple. Um, but over the past, thank you. Over the past seven years, we raised over $100,000 for different organizations and had oh. 14 productions. They're all are unique because they all are representing different um, organizations. And yeah. so our goal is to invite leaders and people from all of those different organizations. So you'll see like, oh, that person is from the homeless LGBTQ shelter. Oh, that person is from the Black Lives Matter thing. Oh, that person is for the um, fighting anti-Semitism group. Oh, that person's, and they're all going to be in one space and it's going to be like a really dope moment. Um, I think, see, this is how ADHD works. I think I answered your question. (laughs) No, 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 no. Hey, you and me both. You and me both. I'm trying to run a podcast with ADHD. Man, we're so similar. This is ridiculous. I love it. No, I could listen to you talk I I, for I could listen okay, to you yeah. talk forever, man. I just wanna but, I wanna I wanna button yeah. it down. Let me let me just button that conversation. Do it, button it, button it. What I do the the purpose of me doing artivism and social justice work in the Mosaic project is I honestly at the core of my spirit believe we will not heal the world until we get curious about the lived experience of people who are different than us. 
and we celebrate the differences and also fully show up as ourselves. So the blacker and the gayer that I show up in rooms, <laughs> the more that random person from Idaho who's never met a gay black person can be surrounded by that energy and I can celebrate and I can learn about their lived experience and they can learn about mine. That's why it was called the Mosaic Project, right? Because the mosaic is little pieces of broken glass that come together to make something beautiful in their own little individual pieces, right? And so that is the reason why I do um, social justice work, specifically archivism work, because I do believe that our individual lived experiences actually provide gorgeous intersectionality if we're willing to do the work. Oh, There we go. Now that's the button. I, was I <laughs> love it, man. I can't tell you how how many feelings and just kind of this lightness and elation that, that just hearing about these, cause I, I haven't, I haven't been to one yet. I would love to come to the one in December. That sounds so great. Come, I will, no, fun. I know. And, but, but just hearing about it, uh, compared to the toxicity of, uh, so much of our day to day kind of cycle that we hear and that we experience that we see just like, man, you are a light in a sea of potential darkness and I, you're light, you're trying to light other people up. And if I, I feel lit up after an hour conversation with you and I look forward to working together again, and I can't tell you how thankful I am that you lent your time to us today and just hearing your story, you know, at part of, part of the, the goal of this podcast is to speak to as many different people in as many different sectors of the industry as humanly possible of all age and of all profession, I mean, whether it's fine art or whether it's graphic design, like any any single thing, it could even be marketing. I want to talk to as many people as possible, and I have loved hearing uh, your take on the world, and I really appreciate your time. It means a lot. So thanks so much for, for, for this conversation. I am so proud of you. Keep doing the work. Keep finding more of your people because you found me and we've had a beautiful conversation here. And the people that are afraid to engage in these conversations, that's okay, provide them with as much grace and love because not just our industry, but the world has created a space where people are so afraid to show up as themselves out of a fear of rejection Mm -hmm. or fear of loss. And so you creating this space where different people from different backgrounds can share their lived experiences authentically. Hopefully more people will be brave and they will share their stories and realize that their stories are what make them special. So it's an honor. It's a blessing. We will work together soon. And thank you for having me. Hey, anytime. Thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to attending uh, any, any of your many, many, many works sometime soon. So thank you so much. And uh, talk to you soon. (laughs) bye bye thank you again to matthew johnson harris what an incredible guest i am not going to forget this conversation i am still feeling it deep in my body we will be back next week with yet another guest you can find all of matthew's information linked in the description for this episode Thank you so much for listening. If this is a resource that you're enjoying, please share and we'll spread the word and continue to have some great conversations with great people. All right. Thank you. See you next week.